We are finally, Tyler, getting to our final Power 5 Conference preview show right here on the College 12 Pack. I'm your host, Patrick Kahn, Senior Editor of the College Wires. With me, Tyler Natuno, as always, uh, rocking his Florida Gators. Uh, we're not going to be talking SEC or Florida Gators. We'll, we'll talk a little SEC here momentarily. Um, but first, well, we are going to the SEC. Let's talk about Tennessee, NCAA. With the old slap on the wrist. Don't do that again. Bags of cash apparently is not enough to get a bowl ban, uh, is, is what the NCAA is saying here. Uh, were you shocked at all? I mean, obviously they vacated all 11 wins of the Jeremy Pruitt era three years. Um, I think it was 11, something like that. Yeah, anyway, it was so they go ahead. They, they go ahead and they, they vacate those wins. We knew that was going to happen. But the fact is, I mean, they even paid guys who didn't want to go there. Uh, Darnell Washington, apparently, in a, according to a report, took money from Tennessee, still went to Georgia. Uh, throwback to Eric Dickerson, the SMU days, the Pony Express, getting a Trans Am from A&M and still going to SMU. Uh, what did you make of all that with, with the with the sanctions, the slap on the wrist, uh, and, and what's going on with, with Tennessee? Yeah, so like you said, it really kind of ultimately boiled down to what was mostly a slap on the wrist. Like most of the penalties were pretty boilerplate stuff, you know, official visit reductions, a couple of scholarship reductions here and there. Uh, the one kind of notable thing was they got fined $8 million, which is, I believe, the most the NCAA has ever fined a program. But that's still less than the buyout they would have owed Jeremy Pruitt uh, if they didn't fire him for cause. So, uh, yeah, I think – you kind of nailed it. I mean, I think the, the the main surprise here, if there is a surprise, is that there was no bull ban. Um, obviously, we saw kind of recently LSU uh, managed to avoid further postseason, uh, you know, sanctions oh. with when their ruling got handed down. They did self-impose a bull ban for what I would say, I mean, are, are mostly lesser charges. So I think it is kind of significant here that they, the Tennessee didn't self-impose a bull ban and kind of rolled the dice and it worked out. One also really interesting note on the bull ban, I thought, uh, per Adam Sparks from the Tennessean, was that the Tennessee attorney general was actually threatening uh, legal action against the NCAA, basically citing a law or an amendment to a Tennessee law passed last year that essentially uh, makes it so that it, it basically says that, yeah, you know, players' rights to make NIL money can't be inhibited. So they were basically going to argue that a bull ban would infringe upon that right. Who knows how that would have actually played out in court? I think that's a pretty dubious argument. But, you know, with all these states passing NIL protection laws, it seems like it's probably only a matter of time before we'll see something like that actually challenged. But that was a one of the more, I guess, noteworthy things. Which actually goes against what NIL is about, because what was the one thing that they, they couldn't do? is They couldn't make it performance-based where a bowl mm-hmm. game would make it performance-based. I mean, go back to Miles Brennan at LSU, gets the truck deal with the dealership, and then retires. Nothing they can do about it. He gets the truck, and he gets to drive off, you know, right off into the sunset, whatever you want to say. It goes against it. But it is what it is, and uh, we're moving on. Uh, Came out SEC Media Days next year, moving to Dallas, Texas. Obviously, next year is the first year of Texas, Oklahoma, joining the SEC. Where do they play their annual Red River rivalry game? Dallas, Texas at the Cotton Bowl. Uh, but they're going to be in the Omni Hotel, which is a, just a little down the road from where the Big 12 meets uh, at AT&T Stadium, Jerry World, whatever you want to call it. 
Uh, are you surprised at all that they're moving this to Dallas, considering they only really have three teams in the region? Uh, when you talk about Texas A&M, Texas, and Oklahoma, uh, Nashville makes sense. Florida makes sense. Alabama makes sense. I'm not so sure Dallas makes sense, but it's a big city and a huge venue. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it really takes a lot of like inside baseball knowledge to see what they're trying to do here. Um, I mean, it's pretty clear with Oklahoma and Texas set to join the league next year. I mean, I've been watching a lot of the SEC Media Day festivities this week. Uh, it's been a big topic of conversation already, and those two teams are still a year away from joining the conference. Um, you know, those discussions are only going to ramp up as we get closer. I think it makes a lot of sense from a fanfare perspective to do it there. Um, it's probably going to rub some people in the existing SEC the wrong way, but it's going to, you know, it's going to be a big event that draws a lot of attention. And I think that's ultimately what the SEC wants from it. And I think they'll probably get that. Well, yeah, and you talked about it, you know, it's rubbing people the wrong way. I mean, we saw, you know, in, in last year's media days when the report came out initially, um, you know, you had Eli Drinkwitz over there. Like, of course, they want to join the SEC, the elites. Like, oh, calm down, buddy. You shouldn't even be there. Uh, but I digress. One big thing that kind of came to mind for me is could we potentially see the SEC baseball tournament move to Dallas? Globe Live Park, it's a uh, – I mean, it is hot in Texas that time of year, but uh, they got a roof over that stadium. And they and they and the reason why I bring that up is the last two years in Hoover, games have been getting rained out and – constant weather delays now the big 12 currently does hold their tournament there uh but could we see a potential bidding war possibly to get that site uh moving forward if they are going to in fact move the media days to Dallas? yeah i think you make a good point about the weather but i still do think it'd be kind of an uphill battle uh just because i do really think the sec likes having the sec tournament uh, the sec tournament there in hoover you know that's where the conference is headquartered it's right in their backyard um, and I think it's, it's pretty centrally located for all the teams. And that's still going to remain the case, even with the additions of Texas and Oklahoma. I personally would be a little surprised to see. I think I think it would take a lot for the SEC tournament to leave Hoover. But I think that's definitely an interesting prospect. It's just a thought that came to mind, especially with watching, you know, covering from a national perspective. I look over at the SEC tournament, ranked games getting rained out. They could use a stadium like that. But there's also other stadiums. Uh, in that region that they could use if they decided to take it away from Hoover uh, based on weather. But I don't think they would make this move based on weather. They'd have to be money involved. Uh, weather alone wouldn't do it. All right, but let's get into the topic that we came to talk about today, the big one that's going to take up most of our remaining topics here. We got 10 topics in the Pac-12. We're going to kick things off the right way. Offensive MVP. Uh, Tyler, I'm going to give you uh, the floor on this one. Who are you going with for your offensive MVP uh, for the upcoming season? Who's your preseason pick? Yeah, so I'll take the easy one and make your job a little bit tougher. Um, I mean, I'm going with the defending Heisman Trophy winner in Caleb Williams. Uh, you know, kind of rare to see that in college football, though we have seen it the last two seasons with Bryce Young and now Caleb Williams. But usually the Heisman winner does not return to school. And, I mean, I just think – it's a pretty obvious pick because I don't really see any reason to think he's going to slow down anytime soon. You know, Lincoln, uh, Lincoln Riley has such a great record when it comes to quarterbacks. I mean, obviously, you know, has three Heisman trophies in what the last five years between uh, Caleb Williams, Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. So, I, I mean, he knows how to coach the position and pretty much any quarterback in his system is going to be absurdly productive. You know, they lose guys, obviously Jordan Addison, but you know, this is still a really talented offense and I don't think, 
any of the questions that we have about this team coming into the year really have to do with the offense. Uh, you know, so yeah, I think, you know, it's hard to repeat as a Heisman winner, but I think he has a really good chance to do it. I think he has a better shot than Bryce Young did last year. Um, yeah, I mean, I still think, I, I, you know, we'll talk more about USC, and I think they're a program that we both have questions about as far as being a playoff contender, but I don't think any of those questions really have to do what's going on, uh, you know, behind center. Pride of West Texas, Lincoln, Riley, and Muleshoe, Texas, not far from where I grew up. Uh, but I want to correct you. Well, really add to, let's not forget, Jalen Hurts was a runner-up for high school. Oh, yeah, true, uh, true. During Good his point. time at Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley. The guy knows how to coach him up. And, and really, honestly, it would be hard to find somebody that's willing to take the bet against Caleb Williams. Uh, but this isn't a Heisman conversation. This is offensive MVP. I'm going to go with a wide receiver out of Washington, Rome Odunze. I think that's how you say it. I could be wrong. I'll find out. Uh, but you look at the numbers that he had, 75 receptions, over 1,100 yards, seven touchdowns. Now, I'd like to see that touchdown number go up, but it is a triple-headed monster with that offense, uh, with Michael Penix Jr., and I could have easily gone with him. Bo Nix, these are some of the guys, but a guy that gets 15.3 yards per reception, uh, definitely I look at that and go, he's a guy that I think could win an MVP honors uh, if they do go outside of a quarterback. Yeah, like you said, uh, you know, Penix is a guy that you could also make an argument for there. But if Penix has the year that we expect him to, it's probably going to be because of a guy like Odunze. So, yeah, I think that's a really good pick. And, uh, you know, we'll talk more about them as well. But I think this is a Washington team that I'm very optimistic about. You know, and there's a lot of optimism. I mean, you look at what they did last year um, and we saw what they did against Texas, a program that's, you know, you picked as to win the Big 12, you know, and you saw what they did uh, in the Alamo Bowl. What a, what a great game that was. Uh, but for me, now we're going to switch over to defense. And I'm going to talk about a guy who could potentially have to guard this guy. Travis Hunter, I think, is my defensive MVP. And I know I'm going out on a limb here picking this guy. Coming in from Jackson State, going to be playing for Colorado, Deion Sanders. A lot of eyes are going to be on him. But I think this guy has the talent, not only offensively, because he did have four touchdown receptions last year, but look at him defensively eight pass breakups, two interceptions, one for a touchdown. I think in a more pass-happy league like the Pac-12, he's going to have the opportunities to take a lot more balls away, uh, and I really think he's going to have a major impact on that Colorado defense. Yeah, no questions about talent when it comes to Travis Hunter, you know, former number one overall prospect and a guy who would probably be a contributor on pretty much any roster in the entire FBS. Um, but, I, you know, I do think – you do question a little bit how he's going to make that transition, you know, especially playing cornerback. There's going to be a lot more talent he's going up against on the other side um, this season. And I do think, you know, I do wonder a little bit, uh, you know, where he's going to play the bulk of his snaps. You know, obviously we expect it's going to be mostly a corner with some receiver as well, but they also did just sign a top five prospect in Cormani McLean who can play corner potentially start year one. So that could maybe open the door for Travis Hunter to see more time on offense. I guess that would be my only hang up with a, uh, with defensive MVP for him, but I think he definitely has the talent to have that caliber of a year. Yeah. It was a struggle to find who I was going to go with. Mostly because of the guy that you're going with, I think is a is a guy that a lot of people are going to be looking at uh, this coming season. Be defensive MVP. Yeah, I'm going back to Seattle with Braylon Trice. I think you know we've talked we've talked a lot about Washington's offense. We'll continue to talk about it more as we approach the season. But this, I think, is a team that you could make a pretty strong argument is the most complete roster in the Pac-12 right now. 
And I think a lot of the reason for that is because of guys on the other side of the ball, like Braylon Trice, you know, had a huge year last year. First team all pack 12 honors, had nine sacks, 12 uh, tackles for loss. And he's comes into this year getting preseason first team all American hype. And, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense. He's a guy that I think could be an X factor on a defense that is, you know, if the defense can live up to the standards of the offense, this is a team that is, I think, not only a, a Pac-12 contender, but maybe a playoff contender. It definitely could be, and you're right. You know, you look at the roster, uh, you know, both offense and defense. I mean, they're absolutely loaded. Uh, it would be a question to see if they're as sound on both sides of the football as a team like Utah, uh, yeah. who has won the Pac-12 the last two years. Uh, we've seen what they can do uh, when they get rolling, especially at the back half of the season. seems like they always seem to make their run there. Uh, a team that doesn't play defense very well is USC. Um, and then this is where I'm going for my breakout performer. Anthony Lucas, Texas A&M transfer, comes in. Hopefully he can help out uh, Grinch, Alex Grinch and that defense because there's a lot of questions. You know, when you look at USC and what they could do this season, like you said earlier, we're not questioning Lincoln Riley. We know what he's he has offensively. Uh, you see it time and time again. My big question is Alex Grinch, and does he survive this season? Uh, because, you know, there was a lot of talk about replacing him going into the season. Uh, he's obviously going to stay. Uh, and I think Anthony Lucas, you know, he only played seven games, ten tackles, one tackle for loss, didn't get a sack. But I think with more playing time and more opportunities at USC uh, to show what he's made of, I think he could really have a breakout performance this year. I think everyone's pretty much in agreement that the limiting factor with USC last year and this year was the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, Alex Grinch's defense. And like you said, this is a big year for him. Um, you know, I think when USC did have success defensively last year, it was because it forced takeaways. They really did live and die by the takeaways. I think that, you know, you hope at least that a guy like Lucas will come in and maybe make this front seven a little bit stiffer, you know, maybe slow down the run, you know, get more pressure on quarterbacks, that kind of thing. You know, defensive production that's more reliable than forcing turnovers because that just is hard to do uh, consistently. No, absolutely. All right, so I have my breakout, the former Anthony Lucas. Tyler, who are you going with? Who's going to break out this year? Yeah, so I'm going back to Colorado, and I think this is a really talented quarterback league, um, but one of the guys who I'm really curious to see how he looks is Shador Sanders. Obviously, Deion's son transfers in from Jackson State, where he had a really, really productive um, FCS career. But, you know, anytime uh, you know a guy steps up from one level to the next, especially at such a cerebral position like quarterback, you question, you know, how they, how they're going to make that adjustment. Um, but with that being said, I, I think that, you know, he comes in to a team that has quite a bit of talent, obviously most of it's transfers. Um, so we're going to kind of have to see how that all works together. But I think this is a team that does have potential to be pretty successful on offense. Um, and I think Shador is in, you know, in line to have a pretty successful season. Uh, you know, I think he'll make big plays in this offense. I'm sure I'll have some mistakes, you know, as he adjusts to the next level. But I do think that he will play well enough this year for this team to be competitive in some games, just just as a result of how talented its offense is. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with you there. Uh, you know, it's the talent's there. I think it's just how well will what they did at Jackson State kind of transfer out into the Pac-12, going into Colorado and the team. Uh, as we know, was one of the least talented rosters in the country. Um, and we saw how quickly Deion Sanders ran everybody out of there, uh, brought in his own guys, brought in five-star guys like uh, McLean, you know, who for a long time we thought he was going to Miami. 
Now he's going to Colorado. He's teaming up with Travis Hunter. They've got guys all over the place. So, yeah, I agree with you 100%. I, th- I think it's like, can it translate? And so, but I do think he has the talent. He obviously has the pedigree. He has the bloodlines. So, let's yeah. see what it looks like when the games actually count. Okay, now we're going to go out to sunny Los Angeles for our next one. We're really going to talk about our biggest question mark. Uh, Tyler, you have the floor. What's your biggest question mark going into the season? Yeah, I've got Chip Kelly in UCLA. I think this is a huge season for Chip Kelly and one that brings with it a lot of questions. You know, this is the first since he's been there where you're not going to have Dorian Thompson-Robinson as your primary starting quarterback. Um, You know, fifth-year guy, five-year starter, not necessarily like an incredible talent that's impossible to replace, but just so much, they've had so much continuity at that quarterback position. And you do wonder how it's going to look, you know, without him. And I, I think that this is a program that I, it feels like they're making progress, but it's also happening. I think slower than most people thought it would under chip Kelly. And like the, the, the peaks haven't been great. I mean, last year was the best season and he went nine and four, which is like good, but not good, not as good as I think you would hope in year six, or was it year six, year five, whatever. I, I think he he needs to he needs to take a step forward this year, even without DTR, because I think I'm starting to question, you know, where this guy stands in in the coaching ranks today. I think offensively, the things he was doing, you know, in his past at Oregon haven't really worked out quite as well at UCLA. But he comes in, you know, this year with a really talented true freshman quarterback in Dante Moore, a five-star. Obviously, they have a couple transfers in the mix, too, that could ultimately win that job. But I think Moore is obviously the quarterback of the future. And I think you just want to see this team, at the very least, not fall off. Um, You know, I think if you fall back to, like, the seven-win mark, I think – that's going to start raising some real questions about where this is going, especially as they prepare to join a really talented conference in the Big Ten. Yeah, you talk about five, six years, seven years for a head coach who's trying to bring a program back. It's unheard of. They, in this day and age of college football, it's unheard of. You get to year four, and if you're not showing progress, you're gone. Yeah. Um, you know, they get, they let you get three, usually three recruiting classes, unless there's some extenuating circumstances. You're not showing any kind of path to returning them to where they want to be or, or reaching a level for the first time. So, you know, that's interesting. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about UCLA uh, in a little bit, but I'm actually going to go to the other team that's going to the Big Ten after the season. Talking about the USC Trojans, we talked about it a little bit earlier. The defense, that's my biggest question. You look at a team that gave up 29.2 points per game last year under Alex Grinch. That was number 93 in the country. Uh, We're only talking about 130 teams, and you're in the bottom 40. Not going to get it done, especially at a school the caliber of a USC. Uh, 54, Tyler, 54 touchdowns allowed last year. That was number 116 in the country. Alex Gretsch, buddy, get it together. That's my biggest question, and that's why I'm not too high on the USC Trojans going very far. Uh, as they try to get into the college football playoffs, it's because of that defense and because of atrocious numbers like that. No, yeah, absolutely. You nailed it. I mean, you know, you hope that guys like Lucas can make the difference, but I'm not sure they got so much more talented that we expect this defense to, like, take a huge leap this year. Um, and like I said, it remains a limiting factor. You know, you can't really get much better play from the offense than they did last year and uh, still didn't make the playoffs so, or win their conference. So, yeah, they need to take a step, another step. Another step. That's what we need. Another step. You know, it is year three of Lincoln Riley. We know the offense is going to do it. Uh, 
but Lincoln might be looking for a new defensive coordinator before it's all said and done. All right, let's get into our under pressure. Who's feeling the heat? <laughs> and I'm probably going to catch some heat for this one, but I got Deion Sanders under pressure. Year one in Boulder, and not because he's got to win. I don't. I think that's, that would be a ridiculous take to say you've got to win in year one. No coach can really do that. Um, you know, you might make the team better. You might, you know, you might pull a Joey McGuire and win eight games. I know I just threw out Texas Tech there for no reason whatsoever. Um, but when you look at Deion Sanders and, and what he's done with, you know, changing the roster, uh, you know, and he's he's taking heat from fellow coaches. When you talk about Pat Narduzzi at Pitt, hey, Brent Venables decided to take a shot at Deion. Uh, Brent, you had the first losing season in Norman since um, some guy named Bob Stoops arrived. I'd keep my mouth shut. Uh, but Dion will feel some pressure, I think. And just because of the way that he transferred that roster completely around, uh, I feel like there is some pressure for them to see some success in this upcoming season. Yeah, I mean, you might catch some flack for that, but I like that pick because I think it's factually true. I mean, for, for the first time um, in his time as a head coach, he's going to feel pressure this season because at the end of the day, this is still not that talented of a Colorado team, and it's one that went 1-11 last year. You're not going to turn that around. Like, I mean, maybe they'll take a step forward, but they're not going to go like nine and three this year. I think that's pretty much entirely out of the question. You're going to have a stretch where you lose, you know, three, four, five games in a row. When that happens, how does Dion respond? I mean, we literally don't know the answer to that question. And, and you know, the way he's building the program, he's really setting himself up for either, you know, getting all the credit when it works brilliantly or taking all the blame when it fails in a blaze of glory. So, yeah, I think he's going to be under pressure at different times this year. And I think it's not like he's in trouble in year one or anything, but it'll just be so fascinating to see how he and this team psychologically respond to that. Um, uh, but I'm going to talk about a guy who I do think is uh, in more danger of potentially losing his job this year. And I'm going up to Pullman. I got Washington State and coach Jake Dicker. And look, a guy who took over this job and let's just be honest, really strange circumstances. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. former coach Nick Rolovich uh, fired uh, midway through the 2021 season for uh, you know refusing to comply with the state's vaccine, vaccine mandate. Uh, they promote Dickert from within. He's the defensive coordinator. Uh, you know, Guides them to a pretty stable 3-3 three and three finish uh, in that 2021 season. And then they go 7-6 and six last year. Look, Dickert's a guy who, let's be honest, like no disrespect to him, but was – probably not qualified for this job under normal circumstances. I mean, he, when he got it, he only had two years of uh, FBS play calling or sorry, division one play calling experience. Um, and so, you know, I think last year they sort of, like I said, he, he, he was able to keep that job full time uh, by, you know, navigating a pretty calm finish as the interim in a, in a tumultuous situation. But they went into last year with some real expectations because you land one of the top transfer portal quarterbacks in Cam Ward, who comes from the FCS ranks and Incarnate Word. And you also bring his head coach from the FCS with him to be your new offensive coordinator. Ward's not bad last year by any means. Um, had some good moments, but not quite the year from a production standpoint I think any of us really expected we would get from him. And now Eric Morris is leaving, uh, going back to Texas to become the head coach at North Texas. So, you know, new offensive coordinator coming into Washington State. Uh, they got, they're bringing in Ben Arbuckle from uh, Western Kentucky, who, you know, had success with a transfer quarterback from the lower ranks last year. And Austin Reed coming up from D2, had a great year for the Hilltoppers. He's going to have to do it again with Cam Ward. And, you know, Dickert's 10-9, and 9, I think 
he's a guy that if you underachieve again this year, I think this program has sort of come to expect a little bit more. And I think that if you're not taking at least some sort of step forward, I think I could see a change coming here. Yeah, I, you know, I agree with that. And, and the good thing is, obviously, bringing the offensive coordinator from Western Kentucky, you get to keep that offense for the most part still intact. Let's be honest, the Hilltoppers like to sling it around. Uh, very much like uh, a Washington State team who's been slinging it around since the days of Mike Leach. And so you look at that, and you, you think it's a good fit with Cam Ward, and we'll see how he does in the first year without Eric Morris because he really came, you know, rose up the ranks under Eric Morris there at Incarnate Word. Uh, and then obviously last year he was good, not great, but I just don't think he ever lived up to the expectation. And that might be, you could say the same for Tyker. That is a coach that didn't really live up to the expectation based on how he finished in a tumultuous season, like you said. Uh, I agree with that hundred percent. I'm with you there. All right. So let's talk about who needs a winning season. If Tiger doesn't need a winning season, who does? Well, you know what? I'm going to start off with the Arizona Wildcats. Uh, Jed Fish, he uh, he did a good job in, in 2022 after what we saw in 2021. He only won one game. Last year he was 5-7. and seven. But I think if they want to be able to become one of those teams that kind of rises up in the absence of a USC, uh, of a UCLA, who kind of wants to fill that void, uh, I think they've got to have a winning season this year. They have a, a roster that's as talented as any as the Pac-12. Jacob Cowling, uh, Jaden Deloria, I mean, they have a great combo there. They also have other wide receivers, other weapons. But looking at that team going into this season, I'm going to need to see something uh, from the Wildcats of Arizona. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you just said. I have maybe a little bit more of a measured take on Arizona. Just like I think, I mean, you look at just on its face, Jed Fish is seven and nineteen in two years, which doesn't mm-hmm. look good at all. But I think that out of is pretty, you know, is 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 not contextualizing things a lot because I do think last year's five and seven record was a, a much bigger step than it might look like on paper. That team was a lot more competent than it had been. But I do agree you do need a winning season because you need to continue that trajectory, especially with, like you said, guys like Delora, guys like Cowan. This team has talent. Um, and I do think it's worth keeping an eye on what your rival uh, you know, elsewhere in the state, in Arizona State, is doing because I do think Arizona State is probably a program that, with Kenny Dillingham, is poised to start probably outpacing Arizona in terms of talent acquisition. So I think it's really important that you maintain that advantage uh, for another year. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but I, I think, you know, when you look at Arizona and what they did last year, it kind of that, that upset win against uh, then number nine ranked UCLA kind of opened my eyes. And go, okay, they're a little more talented. So are they, are they not, are they playing under their talent level? That's my, that's my question because it seems like a very talented team. So that's why I'm looking at them. All right. But who is your team that needs a winning season this year? Yeah. Uh, you know, I've got Cal and I think, I mean, frankly, I just look at the rest of this league and I think despite the problems that this league has, you know, overarching ones, TV deal, conference realignment, that sort of thing. I do legitimately think this is a league full of programs that for the most part are trending in the right direction. Uh, Cal is probably the one I would say that is not, you know, Justin Wilcox, there was a time where this looked good. You know, they started pretty strong under him, had a couple winning seasons, but they haven't had one since 2019. Since then, he's 10 and 18. You know, this is a guy who he's an Oregon alum. Seems like he had the opportunity to go take that job last cycle when they ultimately hired Dan Lanning. 
He turned it down. I don't really know why, because honestly, the success at Cal has just been really middling. I don't think this is a program that's particularly invested, um, you know, in the sport. And and I think, I mean, everyone else is, is improving in the league. Even even a team like Stanford, I think you could argue, is is trending in the right direction. And I think that's a team that Cal really compares itself against, you know, across the bay, you know, there's the same area, similar academic standards, similar histories. Like, I think if you're getting outpaced by everyone, even Stanford in your conference, I, I mean, Cal, I think, could really be looking to go in a different direction if, if Wilcox doesn't do something to turn this around right now. Yeah, even a Colorado team has bypassed Yeah, uh, So th- they're having uh, very hard times uh, out there. Uh, Berkeley got to turn it around and uh justin wilcox for the sake of your job uh you might want to win some football games this year all right so let's get into our surprise team let's get back on the positive side of things surprise team heading into this year who you got yeah i'm sticking with the bay area and i'm talking about a team that i just talked about in stanford look i, I mean obviously tough stanford's a job with a lot of built-in problems and you know a lot of people don't really think it's a program built to win uh in the modern era and that might be the case you know obviously really rigorous academic standards there uh they kind of recruit a different type of guy because of that in in a same similar way that you know the vanderbilts and the dukes of the world do but i think even maybe to to a greater extent than any of those do um but i think that you know as much as I like David Shaw as a person and a coach, I do think that things sort of sour there at the end. I think he wasn't necessarily, you know, whether it was about institutional investment versus, you know, him being invested, I think regardless at the end, I think things just were not really working out. I think the Troy Taylor hire was a bit of an interesting hire. I don't know if at the time I loved it because it just didn't seem like the best fit to me. Not that Troy Taylor is not a great coach. I mean, he had a lot of success uh, at the FCS ranks with Sacramento state, but like I just mentioned, you know, with all the, challenges that this job has i wasn't sure if he was prepared to meet them but i mean early returns seem pretty good uh you know they currently have a top 20 recruiting class in 2024 obviously that's really inflated by the fact that it's at like 28 guys right now probably not going to stay in the top 20 but that's still a good start um you know we'll see if it translates on the field but this is ultimately a team that went three and nine the last two years you don't really have to improve that much to you know do what feels like a step in the right direction if you win like five games this year I think that's good progress for Troy Taylor. Yeah, three to four games, honestly, if you really want to think about it. Uh, again, like we've talked about time and time again, year one head coaches, the expectation level is low. It's really when you get into year two when they really expect to kind of move on up. Uh, but we'll see how it works out. But, uh, you know, people around the industry have loved this guy, and uh, we'll see if Troy Taylor uh, lives up to the expectation. But, you know, I think that's a good pick. Uh, for me, I'm going to Arizona State, and I think there's a lot of upheaval there. Uh, Kenny Dillingham, after the job that he did with Bo Nix last year, uh, you know, now he he returns to his home state of Arizona. Uh, he gets to run a, a Sun Devils program who just uh, made a lot of moves. But the reason why I'm excited about him is because of Kenny Dillingham, what he can do offensively, working with quarterbacks. Uh, and, but really, you look at the transfer portal additions, and I'll tell you one guy that I'm really excited about, Troy Omier, uh, he came from Texas. A lot of injuries, big guy, 6'3". Um, he can go up and get the ball for you. But I think looking at, like, the additions that they brought in, you know, Troy being one of them, they brought in some other guys. Xavier Alford from USC, who also transferred from Texas, you know, I, I, or decommitted or 
regardless, I don't, I don't remember the details of it. But Alfred is there as well. He's a guy that I think can, can play a little defense on the back end for him. But when you look at everything involved, I think Arizona State is trending in the right direction. And I think they're going to surprise a lot of people uh, this upcoming season. They're going to be a lot better, I think, than they were a year ago, uh, especially with Kenny Dillingham. And you know, you know how it is. You hire a new coach, you get that instant boost. Maybe that's enough for them to be a surprise team this year in the Pac-12. Yeah, sometimes, you know, they're just like coaches that I think regardless, you know, objectively it should it doesn't feel like it should be the case, but just you just know in your gut that it's going to work out. And that's kind of how I feel about Kenny Dillingham at Arizona State. This one just feels right to me. Obviously, you know, the Herm Edwards situation had all sorts of problems. This was kind of an opposite of your ex situation um, in the, you know, biggest possible way you could obviously go get a young, you know, play caller in Kenny Dillingham. This is his dream job. He's from the area. You know, uh, I think brings a lot of energy to the program. Early recruiting turns have been pretty good. Uh, or Sorry, early, early recruiting returns have been pretty good. Uh, you know, you get a quarterback in Jaden Rashada, a really talented guy. Or, uh, yeah, J- uh, Jalen Rashada, really talented guy who, uh, you know, obviously had the whole NIL deal fall apart with Florida, that whole saga mess. But ends up at Arizona State. That's a really good, uh, you know, uh, pickup for them. He probably won't start this year, but, you know, will probably be there eventually. I don't know if this is a team I'm super high on in 2023s because I think there's more teams in the conference that, you know, have it all together. But I do think this is a team whose trajectory in the long term I'm definitely very optimistic about. I can certainly agree to that. Uh, But I just feel like, like you said, you just know, you have a feeling. That's me right now. Arizona State, I feel like they're going to be a lot better uh, than they were. And they're going to surprise some folks. All right, so let's get into our dark horses. I'm going to kick things off. I'm going back to L.A. My dark horse, no, not the Trojans. I'm going with the Bruins, UCLA, Dante Moore, Carson Steele. God, one of the best names for a running back, Carson Steele, coming over from Ball State. I think he's going to be a good one. Michael Sturdivant, who came over from Cal. Uh, you know, they're still in their best players. Come to UCLA, play for the Bruins before you go on to the Big Ten. But uh, this is the year that Chip Kelly's going to do something, I think. Dark horse. They're, they're a team, I think, they're going to make some noise. Um, that's a lot of pressure to put on a freshman quarterback, uh, but I think Dante Moore is the real deal. Uh, and that's why I'm going with UCLA Bruins to be my dark horse in the Pac-12 this upcoming season. Yeah, I've already talked about them, so I won't say too much here. But, yeah, I think I think that definitely, if they take that step that I think I said they need to, I think they are absolutely in dark horse contention. Um, I'm going with a team who I think – you know, I, when I look at this conference, it's hard to find dark horses because I think there's so many contenders. I think you look at teams like USC, Oregon, Washington, Utah. I think all four of those feel like teams that have a pretty legitimate shot at winning this conference. And I think outside of that, it kind of feels pretty dubious. But I, I will say that I think Oregon State, if any of those teams are going to take that leap, I think it is probably going to be the Beavers. I really like what Jonathan Smith is building here. Obviously, it's kind of been a slow burn. Um, it's a pretty tough job within the conference, but last year really was the first major step they've taken. They win 10 games, obviously take down Florida in the bowl game. Um, and now, you know, they add a really talented quarterback in DJ Uyunglele. I mean, has, has struggled obviously at Clemson, but going back out to the West coast where he's from, we've talked about on the show before a lot of potential there. And I think the main thing with Oregon state is can not hit because you already won 10 games last year. If the DJU transfer works out, I don't see any reason this team couldn't take an even further step. Um, you know, even given how tough the league is, um, you know, they beat Oregon last year. 
a team that we'll talk about more, but I think a lot of it, you know, both of us see as a, a team that could be the best in this conference and was last year and they still beat them. So yeah, I think Oregon state is a contender or at least could be. Yeah. DJU leaving Clemson, I think was best for both parties. He goes to, he goes back to the West coast to a team like Oregon state. He didn't come out and said that he thinks he's going to play a little bit looser. You know, he's going to be able to do what he wants to do, play the way he wants to play. And Kate Clubnick gets to take over that or, uh, that Clemson program and allow them uh, to kind of move in a new direction under Garrett Riley. But, yeah, I don't disagree with you. The only reason I didn't want to go with them is because I kind of figured you were going to take them. Uh, but UCLA is a, a team that I like. You like Oregon State. We'll see who's right and who's wrong. Not that it really matters. All right, let's move on. Uh, who's your Pac-12 championship uh, pick, title contender? Who are you going with? Yeah, so I already hinted at this a little bit earlier in the show, but I'm going with Washington. I think that when you look at the contenders in this league, I think that this is probably the most complete of them. I think Washington ended the year really strong. They won, I want to say, their last seven games, um, obviously including that bowl game over Texas like you talked about. You know, you bring back Michael Penix, who, when healthy, has been a phenomenal college football quarterback and really even took that to another level last year in his first with the Huskies. Um, you know, obviously a guy that's battled injuries, but if he can make, stay healthy again, like he did last year, I think they're going to take another step forward. You know, obviously have receiver talent, have defensive talent. Uh, Kalen DeBoer is a really good football coach, had success at Fresno State, too. I just really like the way this program has come together in a short period of time. And I think, you know, maybe a bit of a dark horse with teams like USC getting a lot of attention, but I think this might be the most complete of all of them. You know, I agree with you. I think Washington's one of those teams. But speaking of dark horses, I'm going to go with the dark horse for Heisman. He's having fun again. I'm going with the Ducks. I'm going with Bo Nix. I'm not going to meme you to death. But when you look at Oregon, I trust Dan Lanning defensively. Uh, He knows what it takes to win a championship. He knows how to put a defense together. Uh, Offensively, he's going to be a little different. You know, now you have Stein coming in from UTSA. Ooh, the Roadrunners have been making some noise down there in San Antonio uh, at the you know at, at the G5 level. I think this is good for him. It brings in a guy with Texas ties, so it still helps that Texas to Oregon pipeline. Uh, but you look at Bo Nix, Troy Franklin. Hey, you know it worked so great with Bo Nix bringing him from Alabama. Why not go get Tez Johnson uh, from the Troy Trojans? I think he's a wide receiver that's going to help them out uh, tremendously, uh, especially because the other wide receiver that they tried to bring from the state of Alabama, didn't work out too well. But we're not going to talk about Trayshawn Holden. Uh, but when I look at Oregon, I think that they're a team that can make some noise. And I, honestly, Oregon versus Washington in a Pac-12 championship game, sign me up. Yeah, no, I mean, that'd be that'd be pretty fantastic. Um, you know, I think, you know, Oregon almost was in that mix last year. They were close to being a playoff team, just had a couple losses here and there that you know went, didn't go their way. I think, like you said, the big question is how do they handle the loss of Kenny Dillingham? But I think Will Stein, I like the idea behind that. I mean, obviously, we'll have to wait and see how it works out. But I think it makes a lot of sense. Landing seems to know what he's doing. I think that's a good pick. So what it boils down to is who's getting into the college football playoff? Do you think the Pac-12 is getting a team in? Or two teams in. I got zero teams, and the reason why is because I think these guys are going to cannibalize each other. I think the champion comes away 11-2, and two, and I'm not sure an 11-2 and two Pac-12 champion is going to be enough to get them in the college football playoff. Maybe a year away, but then again. Well, it would be a year away, wouldn't it, since we're starting the new playoff. Yeah. 
uh, yeah. next season. They're a year away. That's that's my opinion. I disagree. I think the Pac-12 does get back into the four-team playoff in the last year of its existence. First time since USC? 2016. I what was that? You taking you, you taking USC? Mm, I think I'm going to go Washington. I'm going to stick with I'm going to stick with Washington. Okay. And I think I and I think you know. And I think Washington, they're the only Pac-12 team, first of all, that's ever made the playoff. Or Sorry, sorry, not the only team. Uh, most recent team, which was seven years ago. And, you know, I think I, I like them to get back. And I, I do think I, I think what you said is right, that this champion is not going to make the playoff if they're an 11-2 and conference champion. I don't think – I think this league is going to have a 12-1 and champion. And like I said, my gut take is Washington, but I could see it being USC. I could see it being Oregon. I could see it being Utah um, if Cam Rising can stay healthy. You know, I think that there's a lot of talent in this league. I, you know, obviously you expect to see some attrition with all that talent. You know, they'll beat each other up a little bit. But I, I, I still do think that one of them will emerge in a position to make the playoff. And I really think the Pac-12 needs that uh, just from a PR perspective. Because honestly, it's been a pretty rough year for the conference between, you know, losing two of your, you know, trademark teams in USC and UCLA, losing to the Big Ten. Obviously, the saga with the TV deal uh, we just saw this week, they didn't get it done ahead of Pac-12 media days, which obviously they did not want. That's going to dominate the discussion this weekend. It's coming soon, um, allegedly. Yeah, yeah, we'll see about that one. Point I'm making is this conference needs a PR win badly. And like I said earlier, I think there's a lot of intriguing teams in this conference. One of them needs to be nationally relevant in November. They just need to be. It's been a while. It's been too long. It has been too long. It's probably going to be Oregon or Washington. Uh, not sold on USC yet, but who knows? It could be Utah. You know, they have won the Pac-12 the last two years and, and gone to the Rose Bowl only to get smacked around by the Big Ten. But that's how that's how the cookie crumbles. But that's going to do it for this episode of the College Ball Pack. Uh, we're going to be back next week where we're actually going to get into the group of five. We're not going to break down every conference, but we're going to talk about some group of five teams who can make some noise. And obviously we're wrapping up SEC media days, getting into Pac-12 media days as the uh, offseason rolls on. For Tyler and Patrick, we'll see you next week. Thank you.